This program does not provide medical advice. We assume no liability for the information provided on MindForce Radio. Please consult your physician before beginning any exercise or nutrition program. This is Roger LaPointe, and I have known Bob Whalen for many years at this point, and he is one of the most intense individuals you will ever meet. Go MindForce Radio. From Mind Force Radio, this is Natural Strength Night with Maximum Bob. On Natural Strength Night, we don't talk about the other things Bob likes to talk about. Tonight, we only talk strength training. When I say strength training, I don't mean training like punk-ass goons in the muscle magazines who jacked up on juice, steroids, and PEDs. I mean natural strength. Strength built on good food, heavy weights, and no shortcuts. If you want to learn about real natural strength, weight training the right way, the old school way, stick around. Bob and his friends just might teach you something. He's here, the host of Natural Strength Night, Maximum Bob Whalen. Tonight, our guest is Steve Greenstein. Steve is the grandson of the mighty Adam, Joe Greenstein. We are going to be talking tonight about the interesting life of the mighty Adam, who is one of the most colorful and beloved figures in the history of physical culture. He is one of my favorites. I have an old frame picture of him biting a chain. I had it on the wall of my gym in Washington, D.C. for over 20 years, and I still have it here in Florida. All of his amazing feats were done naturally, way before the steroid era. We are going to be talking tonight about some of his amazing feats of strength. Steve is currently producing a documentary about his grandfather. I can't wait to see it. Steve, welcome to Natural Strength Night. Thank you very much for having me. Please tell us the website where people can donate to support your Mighty Adam documentary. Thank you. There's, there's two places you can donate. Uh, one of them is the Kickstarter website, which is just kickstarter.com, and then you'd search for the Mighty Adam. Uh, there's a link on the page there. And the other one would be uh, themightyadamdoc.com, and that's A-T-O-M uh, as opposed to A-D-A-M. So it's A-T-O-M-D-O-C.com. And then you can also go to my two websites. You can go to naturalstrength.com and mindforceradio.com and then click on the movie trailer there and that will take you right to the site. Your grandfather's colorful life and great feats of strength are well known by many of our listeners. But for those who are not familiar with him, who was the Mighty Adam? You know, the Mighty Adam was one of the strongest people to ever live. Um, he was an originator of the Iron Game, and he's a, a pioneer in natural strength and health. He's one of the most unique people to, I think, ever have lived. Uh, I agree. When I first talked to Steve a minute ago, it was pretty funny. I guess we'll add this in here because you may hear Steve's very young voice. <laughs> when, I, when, I first talked, when I first talked to Steve a few minutes ago, 
I said, you're the grandson? Yeah. Because uh, you sound young, you know. And I said, and uh, we just went over this and how old the mighty Adam would be and everything. So uh, yeah. see, just fill, fill people in on what you just told me a few minutes ago. Sure. So I am the last of all the grandchildren. So my father was the youngest of the mighty Adam's 10 children, and I'm the youngest of his four children. So I'm 43. Um, my first cousins are in their 60s and 70s. And uh, I believe there was a 17-year age gap between the first child and the last child. So when I go to a lot of the strength events and people meet me, people will think I'm the great-great-grandchild, but I actually am, in fact, the grandchild. Yeah, it happens quite a bit. And then how old again would the mighty... Yeah, 1893 he was born in. So, you know, my math is terrible. I'd have to do that. But uh, obviously it's 107 to get to 2000. So he would be about 122 years old today. How did your grandfather first get interested in performing stunts and feats of strength? Well, you know, it's a really interesting life story, and uh, I'm just sort of privileged to be able to be a part of the family. But he was a very sick child, and, and that's one of the things about his life which is very unique. He had tuberculosis, and they didn't give him a very uh, good prognosis for having a life at all. So when he was a very young child, he ran away with the circus. He met a, a strongman named Belanco who taught him really mind over matter and taught him the proper way to eat and the proper way to cure himself of, of many ailments. Um, things that would have killed you back in 1893 uh, are curable now, but they certainly weren't then. So when he met this strongman, uh, he started to learn the power of mind over matter and the power of strength training. He was all about keeping it simple. If it came from the earth that way, that's the way you're supposed to eat it. He did not like anything processed. Um, he also, in his early life, traveled to India and he learned about fasting. And one day a week he would fast and he would often talk about that the stomach is not a garbage can and it needs a chance to regenerate itself. Uh, so he was primarily vegetable based. He would occasionally as an older man eat meat uh, and he would fast one day a week. You know, first of all, portion size to him, he would say you should leave your table hungry. Portion size was a big deal. Um, as an American, I certainly have a diet that probably is, is uh, a lot more uh, high in calorie than it should be. Uh, he believed that you're not supposed to just dump things into your stomach. So if there's any philosophy to be taken away from his dietary practices, that's it, is that you really should walk away from your table hungry. Uh, the fasting was also a way to give his stomach a chance to regenerate itself and give your body a chance to regenerate itself. Uh, he was primarily primarily plant-based in his diet approach. Um, right. And he would have meat occasionally, but it would, he would get offers to do um, deals with companies and talk about how meat made him strong, and he would refuse those types of deals. He never wanted to present to the public that he was a prolific meat eater. He was somebody who really believed in walking away from the table being hungry. Uh, that portion size was a big deal. Um, so you know, he would recommend that you, you don't stuff yourself. Uh, one day a week, he would fast. That was also something he picked up when he was in India. Uh, he wanted to make sure that his body had a chance to regenerate itself and his stomach had a chance to regenerate itself. Um, he was really not about animal protein as a general rule. Uh, he believed in plant-based protein and plant-based diet. So I'd say overwhelmingly, um, he was vegetarian, if not all the way. Uh, he would have meat occasionally, but just pretty sparingly. So he was kind of what we call now a flexitarian, but primarily, <laughs> yeah, that really is a term. Okay. My mother even calls herself that, but they, they call people who are usually vegetarian, but occasionally have meat. 
they, there's a term for that now. They call them flexitarians, where they yeah, they don't a... never eat meat. They'll occasionally have meat, but most of the time, like 90%, they just live on you know vegetables. Yeah, that's a great. So that, that, that's pretty interesting. I, I read once a long time ago that somewhere that your your grandfather said the way to the graveyard for most people is from their knife and fork. That's right. That's right. And we, we covered that in the film. Um, you know, one of the pleasures I've had in making the movie is to get to meet people who had watched him perform. And uh, I met somebody recently who um, watched him perform in, at the uh, Pennsylvania State Fair. And um, he would point to the graveyard, which happened to have been next to the fairgrounds. So there, there happened to have been a physical graveyard very close by. And he would point to it and say, you dig your grave with your knife and fork. Um, you know, he also would talk about elimination, which is something that people don't like to discuss, but it's a very real issue. You know, you go in the bathroom and you hear like a lion roaring, you know, because people are struggling so much to eliminate. Uh, and it shouldn't be that way. You know, what you are putting in your body is causing massive, massive trauma to the body. So he believed in right. keeping it very simple, you know, um, things that came from the earth, the way they looked, <laughs> the way they came from the earth. Uh, and the more mm -hmm. processed and the more things you put in your food, the worse you are for it. Did he occasionally eat cheese or drink milk? Yes, occasionally everything. I don't think he was eliminating anything completely from his diet. But to be truthful, that part of his life I haven't studied as in great detail as I have other parts of his life. So I, I don't mm -hmm. want to misspeak about everything that he ate. But I, I believe him to be um, you know, primarily vegetable-based with an occasional thing of anything that came up. I had some other uh, posters of him in my gym, too. I have this one poster of him where he was definitely elderly. I mean, he, you know, I, I yeah. think it was in the, in the 1970s where this picture was taken. Right. Well, it's, that's a funny thing as well. He actually passed away at 84, uh, and that's one of those oh. things that people don't realize. But one of the sort of eccentricities about my grandfather is that as amazing as he was, and he truly was, mm -hmm. he never felt it was good enough. And so he would mm -hmm. lie about his age and say, if I'm 50, you know, biting a nail and a half, eh, but if I was 60, people will really think it's something. And so he aged himself 10 years ahead so that people would think mm. his feats of strength were that much more impressive. When he passed away, wow. it was recorded that he was 94 years old, but he, in fact, was 84. Wow. And, and what, what year did he pass away? I believe that was 1978. Right, because I, I think I'm pretty sure the picture I got of him was in the 70s, but it shows him... Um, taken the nail and it's someone took the picture right at the point of when he put the nail through this real yeah. thick board the board yep. looked like it was yep. about two inches thick and he yeah he, he he just had a little rag in his hand his hand he had a bare hand with a little rag and then a yeah. big nail and he was That's a right. skinny old man i mean he looked 90 but i guess he was 80 something or you know in his 80s right yeah. by then he in was the probably 70s. 83 um and he, and, he really put, amazing. and he put the thing through it unbelievable well, the whole thing about my grandfather was mind over matter. That's everything. And I think in strength in general, whether it pertains to my grandfather or anybody, uh, it's all about mind over matter. And one of the incredible things we cover in the film is my grandfather was performing feats of strength a half hour before he died. He was in the cancer ward of a hospital, and to sort of try to inspire people, he would take that same nail and board and kind of go around the cancer ward and show people you can still do things. And he was driving spikes through boards. And then he said, I'm not feeling that well. He laid down and he passed away. 
And um, to be able to do things when you're in a sickly state, when you have cancer, and to be able to put a nail through a board just shows it's not really about the body, which of course is a tool and of course needs to be trained properly, but it's about the mind. And if anything can be taken away from his life, is that point that it's all about the mind. You said he went into a circus, right? He traveled with a circus performer. There was a performer in a Polish circus uh, in Suwak, Poland, where he was born, where he met someone uh, called Champion Valenko. And that, that performer took him around. He was very sickly and very weak and, you know, started with diet and started with sort of two pails of water with a little bit of water in them and taught him how to exercise and how to overcome. How did the Mighty Adam become so popular? Well, that's a really interesting thing as well. Um, a lot of Jews came to Galveston, Texas in the early 1900s. There was a mass exodus from Poland. There was some wealthy businessman who was able to get probably 40,000 Jews from Poland to Galveston in particular. And when he was there, he uh, opened a gas station. It was the very first business he ever opened. And he was performing feats of strength for his friends. He wasn't doing anything professionally at the time. Um, Houdini came through town performing and his car got a flat. The nearest gas station was my grandfather's. And so some people who worked for Houdini, yeah, this is a crazy story, and it's true. Some people who worked for Houdini came to the gas station, said we have a flat tire, so he just grabs a tire. At, at that point, one of the feats of strength he would perform was removing a tire and the lug nuts with his bare hands. He wouldn't use any tools. So he would just do that for friends and local performances and that kind of thing. So he grabs the tire and they said, you don't want any tools? And he says, no. So he goes to the car, walks about a mile, picks up the car with one hand, changes the tire with Houdini and Houdini's manager in the car. So they look at this thing going, what is going on? What is this? So Houdini's manager was named Pitkoff, and he got out of the car and he said, who are you and what else can you do? And so my grandfather brought him back to his garage and showed him some other feats of strength. And then Pitkoff said, I want you to be on my label of talent. I want, I want to sign you up. That is unbelievable. Yeah, it sure I, is. I've read so many things about your grandfather. Now, I forgot where I read this. It was a long time ago. But I read somewhere that your grandfather was attacked in New York. Two or three much younger men who tried to attack your grandfather because they looked at him as easy prey, like this skinny old man with white hair and a beard, yeah. you know, white, white yeah. beard. They thought it was going to be easy pickings, right? And there was like three of them. Big yeah, mistake. My... Yeah, he put all three of them in the hospital. It made great headlines in the New York papers. Can you fill us in on that? Sure. Well, I mean, he was in so many altercations and, um, you know, one would think he sort of courted that because he wanted everyone to know uh, that he wasn't easy pickings. I mean, back in the time where he was really in his prime, being a Jew in New York was not a very safe thing to be. Uh, one of the reasons why he grew his beard so long, he didn't used to have a beard, but he grew it to look like a rabbi, um, so people would start with him and he could finish it. Uh, he was not just strong, he also was a jiu-jitsu master as well. He had traveled quite a bit when he was younger, uh, and in his travels had picked up jiu-jitsu and studied it. So he was a very dangerous person, and um, Lord knows, wow. I mean, there were a lot of altercations, but there was one in particular where he was defending somebody. It was two or three people who were beating up an elderly Jewish man. Um, and he came to his defense and ruined those three people. I mean, it was very, very, uh, it was tough to go against him. Um, and, you know, he had the kind of focus and power that he could, I mean, really with one punch could put you in the hospital and, and possibly end your life. So when that happened, he realized that he needed to be um, on the lookout for people who were against Jews. And that was a big part of his life. And so he ended up creating a fashion for himself that looked 
like a rabbi so that he could say to people, if you want trouble, you found trouble. Yeah, what were some of the feats of strength your grandfather was known for? Oh, wow. I mean, he did so many things. He's one of the originators, uh, excuse me, one of the originators of the Iron Game. But I think the one that impresses me the most is he would bite a nail in half, I mean, with his teeth. Um, mm-hmm. Towards the end of his life, his teeth were basically these little nubs. They weren't very uh, long anymore because he could just he would grind and grind. And uh, we have some of this on film as well, which is just crazy to watch. It's one thing to hear about it, but it's another to actually watch him do it. Um, he could. I think believe uh, one of his most famous things where he stopped a plane from taking off with his hair. Uh, he did a lot of feats of strength with his hair. He would take things. Uh, these combs that were specially built, and he would tie it into his hair and use the resistance of his hair while he bent steel. Um, he would bend steel in a lot of a variety of ways. Um, like you said, he would pound spikes into wood and sheet metal on top of it with his hands. Um, he pulled the train with his teeth at one point. Um, you know, there were so many things. He actually put his entire family on top of him while he was on top of a bed of nails. He was always pushing it. You know, and there were some things he wasn't able to achieve, but it was certainly not for lack of vision and lack of desire. I mean, he was always pushing the boundaries of what could be done. Could you give us a little more about more details or, or, or any special type of training that he did for his mind? What type of mental training did he do to make his mind so strong? You know, I'm not so, so sure that it was training per se, but, you know, uh, Slim Farman, who was one of his... Uh, proteges and a very nice man. I've spoken with Slim at length, and Slim calls it the governor. You have a governor in your brain that tells you what you're capable and not capable of doing. And it's believing that that governor doesn't exist. It's believing that the rules of society don't exist. You have to convince yourself that you're capable of something that you're told you're not capable of. So I don't know that it was necessarily anything he did other than the weight training itself, but while he did it, he would say, I'm going to do this. My father would say to me that when he was performing a feat of strength, if you waved your hand in front of his face, he wasn't going to know you were there. He was somewhere else, and he would take his mind to a place that would convince himself that he could do these things. So I don't know what methodology he used. I'd almost liken it to hypnosis in that – you have to have complete belief that what's about to happen is going to happen. That's a great way to put it, complete belief. That's exactly, that was great. What challenges did the Mighty Adam face? If you want to talk about challenges, obviously being a sickly child, uh, he had health that was not on his side. He was very poor. Um, you know, being in Poland at that time, you know, he certainly uh, was at a point in history where being in Poland was not the best place to be. So he had to, you know, leave and leave his family uh, to go to the United States. Um, being How old a Jew was at that he time, when he came to the U.S.? No, he was a young man. He was in his teens um, when he came to the United States. Uh, and then he sent back for uh, my grandmother as well. Um, you know, being Jewish at the time was tough and prospects for Jews was tough. And so he owned uh, many businesses over the years um, that he was alive. And I think a lot of that came from being a self-starter, but a lot of it came from there were no other options. Um, To be a Jewish man in 1920 in America was a very difficult prospect. And to be somebody who had so many children, I mean, I know that was of a generation, but being a father of 10 is a very tough thing to be. And, you know, my grandmother was a saint by all accounts. Uh, she was, you know, his backbone. She was his angel. But, you know, doing that with two parents or, you know, any way you slice it, 10 children is a lot. 
So he had a lot to deal with. Um, and then, you know, how do you make a living as a performer when at the time there wasn't a giant market for that? I mean, can you imagine him doing his feats today with YouTube and with social media? Um, he'd blow up in a second. He'd be on every single show there, there could be. But back in 19, you know, whether it's 10 through 1960 or 70, the options weren't, uh, weren't the same. So, you know, his life was filled with challenges. And I think just the fact that he overcame such horrible physical ailments is, is a testament to what the mind can do and to what his legacy can prove. We'll be back with more right after this. This segment brought to you by VitalNutritionStore.com. Did you know that more than 7 million Americans suffer from coronary heart disease, the most common form of heart disease? Regardless of your age or condition, adding Cardio for Life to your daily regime will dramatically improve your cardiovascular condition. Cardio for Life has been the top-selling Enlargenine product in the marketplace now for more than three years. It is also the top-selling product at VitalNutritionStore.com. Formulated by Dr. Harry Elwart, the best-selling author of Let's Stop the Number One Killer of Americans Today, Dr. Harry believes together we can prevent and reverse heart disease. Cardio for Life comes in three wonderful flavors, orange, peach, and grape, and is gluten-free, sugar-free, and sodium-free. Please see our complete line of natural products at vitalnutritionstore.com. That's V-I-T-A-L nutritionstore.com. Randy Roach shocked the world with the release of his first volume of Muscle, Smoke, and Mirrors several years ago. It was a masterpiece of over 500 pages with such in-depth research and detail that it was not only surprising, but shocking and mind-blowing. It was truly one of the best Iron Game history books ever written. He followed that with Volume 2, another epic book with over 700 pages of equal depth and detail. All serious Iron Game fans need to have these books. Please visit Randy's website at randyroach.ca. That's R-A-N-D-Y-R-O-A-C-H dot C-A. Listen to how Iron Game legend and the Iron Master editor, Osmo Kihaw, describes the book Supernatural Strength. Have you ever wondered how much real-world experience authors have when they write books about weight training? Who is that person behind the computer? What do they really know about the Iron Game? If you picked up this book, Supernatural Strength, you have definitely come to the right place. The author, Bob Whalen, has spent several decades in the Iron Game trenches training himself, competing and coaching in powerlifting, earning academic credentials too numerous to mention, and thousands of hours of training and instructing athletes and trainees of all levels at his Washington, D.C. gym since 1990. He's not only devoted his life to motivating and pushing people to heights they have never been to, but elevating the trainees' understanding why certain methods work better than others. Bob is one of the most respected and revered trainers in the business today. This book is sure to surprise and amaze you at the same time. Order now at SupernaturalStrength.com. That's SupernaturalStrength.com. Don't you think it would be so much easier getting into shape if you had a personal coach? Just like all the celebrities do. Well, now you can. Bob Whalen of WebStrengthCoach.com wants to get you out of your rut and coach you to success. He's dedicated to helping you achieve your strength and fitness goals through your hard work and his expert guidance. Bob will help you with strength training, muscle building, fitness, nutrition, and motivation. He'll make sure you achieve your maximum physical potential. You can get one-on-one training with Bob through his 
website, webstrengthcoach.com. He will develop a personalized program tailored to your individual needs, a program right for you. Bob will give you feedback after every workout. This is old school fitness and nutrition, no fads and no gimmicks. Bob will use proven natural techniques to make sure you are satisfied. So visit webstrengthcoach.com today and let Bob help you reach your best self. Webstrengthcoach.com Do you enjoy history without social engineering? Reading about our founding fathers? Economics from a capitalist perspective? Wisdom from modern patriots? Welcome to UncleSamBooks.com where virtues like rugged individualism, hard work, and the American dream dominate. UncleSamBooks.com Great books for homeschooling. UncleSamBooks.com If you want to become as strong and muscular as possible with health in mind and without lowering yourself to using steroids, the best advice can be found in the classic strongman books of long ago. These are the best books ever written on the subjects of strength training, weightlifting, strongman training, iron game history, and old-time physical culture. Many of them can still be found at physicalculturebooks.com. There you will find good, honest, time-tested wisdom from the great old-time strongmen to maximize your natural muscular and strength potential. Please visit physicalculturebooks.com. Listen to Ken Manny, head strength and conditioning coach at Michigan State University, describe the book Iron Nation, a masterpiece text on some of the most intriguing and compelling personal stories, iron game history, and gut-wrenching training routines ever put to paper. If you truly love hard training without all the frills of pomp and circumstance so common today, you will love Iron Nation. Written by lifters for lifters. If you love weight training, you will love Iron Nation. Order now at ironnation.com. That's I-R-O-N nation.com. If you would like to promote your business on MindForce Radio, we would love to hear from you. Please let us know if you are interested in a 30- or 60-second voice commercial or a banner website ad. Please contact Bob using the contact information provided on mindforceradio.com. You're listening to Natural Strength Night on Mind Force Radio. Did he have to learn English? Uh, did he know any English when he first arrived in the U.S.? You know, I don't know that. Um, my hunch is that he did not know, but I'd have to ask my father or my uncle. Uh, my uncle Mike's about to turn 95. Uh, my uncle Mike, if you have seen it, was on America's Got Talent about a year and a half ago uh, at 93 pulling a car filled with people with his teeth uh, on the streets of New York City. <laughs> yeah, that's right. He was on uh, on NBC, and it was so much fun to watch him do that. I mean, he's 95 and can still do it today. Um, 
and you know, if there's any lasting legacy to my grandfather's life, it's my uncle Mike. I mean, you know, the fact that you are 95 or about to be 95 and still capable of such things is truly amazing. Can you give us any details on how he trained? Did he use barbells or kettlebells or oh yeah, what what type of workouts did he do? He was all old school. I mean, I think this is coming back now with CrossFit being a big thing and uh, a lot of uh, natural strength being a big thing. He was all about simplicity and, uh, and original strength tools. So I don't think you'd look at his gym as anything to speak of. You know, I don't think you'd look at there – were, there were no machines. It was all kettlebells. It was all weights. Uh, it was all bars into a wall. And, and, uh, and frankly, he would train with a lot of the materials that he would use. So there was a lot of iron bar in what he would train with. Um, he was never concerned with the image of his physique. It was never about how he looked. It was about what his body could functionally do. And so everything for him was means to an end of strength versus aesthetics. What were some of the great bending things he did? I mean, I, I know he could bend thick steel bars and things. I've seen him bend all kinds of stuff. Oh, yeah. what, what were some of the greatest bending accomplishments that you knew he did? You know, I think the, the, the easiest thing to point to is he would take a uh, cold rolled steel bar and turn it into a pretzel. And that looks great. But if you want to talk about pure strength, the most impressive thing he ever did was take a seven-inch cold roll steel bar, which is really small, and he could bend that into a horseshoe. And if you think about it, you know, the thing about bending is that it's all about leverage. And so if you're going to bend the bar, the longer the bar is, the easier it is to bend, which is not to say that it's easy in any way, shape, or form, but it does get harder and harder the shorter it gets. Cold rolled steel versus hot rolled steel is harder by itself. But seven inches should be impossible. Uh, he used to do nine inches. And actually, one of the funny things about my grandfather was, uh, you know, all of the boys performed with him. Uh, so there were four, there were five boys in total, but Mendel unfortunately passed away early. There were four of the boys that would travel and perform with my grandfather, my father being one of them. So I believe my uncle Harry got close to doing the nine inch. He was doing 11 inches. And so my grandfather felt, wait, that was too close to him. And so he started to up it, and he was able to bend a 7-inch cold roll steel bar into a horseshoe. And he would attach these handles on the end because, frankly, there's no other way to do it, um, but just an impossible feat of strength. On top of that, he also could turn things into a twist. So imagine you have a straight piece of steel, and to actually use forearm strength to twist it into you know, what would seem like a sideways pretzel. So as opposed to bending it the long way, he would bend it the sideways way. Um, and just incredible. I mean, in doing this film, I've gotten to recreate some of the things that he's done, and I can't fathom it. You know, I I'm somebody who's related to the man, and I can't fathom it. Did he do a lot of bodyweight exercises also? Uh, as far as my, my understanding, yes. I mean, it was, it was push-ups and pull-ups and, and things uh, that, were, that had been around for generations. Um, you don't need, at least in his view, and I, I agree with it, you don't need a lot of tools and a lot of toys to play with for natural strength. It's really about your body's resistance, and it's really about uh, form. It's about application of things in the proper way versus, you know, you go to a, a Nautilus machine, you go to a gym today, and you see, you know, I see people doing dips with assists. They have their knees on something, and it's just it's not what you need to do. And what you need to do is train your body to do it properly. And also, one of the things about my grandfather, which was truly amazing, was he was a tiny man, um, five foot four, maybe 145 pounds. 
um, a, lessons, a lesson to be taken from his exercise philosophy was not to be too large, um, uh, to have the proper body mass ratio. So it's great to be muscular, but to be a giant is not necessary. Um, to be somebody who is inflated with drugs and to be somebody who has a body that could not possibly exist in nature is not necessary to do incredible things. So he was a tiny man, 5'4", 145 pounds, and possibly pound for pound the strongest person to ever live. It's, it's certainly a case to be argued. Uh, so he didn't believe in inflating yourself with uh, unnatural products. I know he did the jujitsu, and he was great in the martial arts. He trained with barbells, dumbbells, kettlebells, and did you know free weight, body weight exercises. But yeah. did he do any uh, flexibility exercises, and did he do any type of cardiovascular? Like, did he run or jog? Yeah, I wish I knew. I, I don't believe... I know he had a bike that he would use just as a way to get around, but I don't really know much about uh, his cardiovascular um, and, and some of the, the fine details of his training are, are lost, unfortunately, to, to time. When he was performing, that's when all the great strongmen were around. You know, he probably yeah. knew all of them. Did he have any sure. um, really good friends among the strongmen? You know, as far as I remember, uh, John Grimmick was a friend. Um, Bob Hoffman was a friend. Uh, I know certainly Vic Boff was a friend. Um, I don't know necessarily that he was um, very active uh, in the bodybuilding community, um, but I believe he had a hand in um, at least speaking and getting people mentally prepared for the first couple of Mr. Olympia competitions. But I think that really uh, John Grimmick was the closest friend he had in the strength community, as far did as I know. Ever meet, um, did he ever meet Eugene Sandow? Uh, I don't know, but Lord knows uh, Sandow was one of the greats. I mean, just um, another original. And I, I think he was certainly compared to Sandow. I've seen that in posters, but I don't know if they ever met. George Hackenschmidt or, let me see, Alan Calvert or George Jowett. Do any of these people ring a bell? Yeah, Hackenschmidt does. I think I've seen some pictures of him with Hackenschmidt. Um, and so I have to go back and research that. You know, so much of my time right now is, is diving into uh, all these old magazines and old articles and film and, and TV appearances and radio appearances that my grandfather did. And I know he certainly was uh, well-regarded and out there in the strength community, so he, he would have have to have crossed paths, crossed paths with some of these people, but I don't really know um, too much about that. Your grandfather is extremely revered. He's probably as, as popular as ever now, maybe more popular than ever. And the people that do bending and grip work, they almost worship your grandfather. A popular book, Spiritual Journey of sure, Joe Greenstein. Yeah, yeah mm -hmm. um, and I, I have that book also. That's where I read a lot of the stuff about him and the, his mental yeah. training, or not training, but his just his mental belief, the way you put it, I love that. But um, sure, that, that, sure. that's a that's a great book. But yeah, I mean, your your grandfather is highly revered. He's probably the most beloved figure in the Iron Game. I mean, people love him. So um, I know yeah. that this documentary is going to do well. Yeah, I certainly hope so. I mean, the, the the takeaway for me in doing this project, I mean, what I do full time is I, I direct television commercials. So they're very different in execution, and I haven't done a film before. So. The commercials is everything is uh, super planned, every angle, every take. But with a film, I get to sort of explore it and let it take me where it naturally takes me. And I can tell you that what I didn't expect to find, and I think I have found in making this film, is that my grandfather wasn't special at all. 
there's nothing about him that he was born with, that he was a freak of nature. The only thing special about him was that he convinced himself that he would be special, that he told himself over and over until it was true that he was going to be the thing he envisioned being. And that's amazing. He shouldn't have been able to do what he did. He wasn't a natural freak. He didn't come out of the womb with any special skills. He taught himself and he convinced himself that he would do these things. And that's the takeaway. And it leaves me with the impression of, you know, what are we all capable of? Whether it relates to sports, whether it's science, whether it's anything, what are we capable of? There's something else that I would love to touch on uh, about his life. And that's just what we're capable of without drugs. It was really important to my grandfather to be natural, to live your life in a way. Um, and certainly he was a religious man, you know, that God would want you to live. Um, you don't need drugs. You don't need to be doing things that are bad for you long-term to achieve great things. Um, his whole life was mind over matter. And that's what everyone's life can be if they apply themselves. And so, you know, if people are going to watch this film, that's certainly one of the big takeaways you want them to have. And if anyone is, uh, you know, kind enough to contribute, and please go to Kickstarter or go to themightyadamdoc.com. We would very much appreciate it. Every single dollar helps. Can you talk a little bit about his spiritual beliefs? Sure. Um, you know, my grandfather was a religious man, uh, a man certainly of uh, devout conviction. And, um, you know, he believed that what he was doing was certainly what God would want him to do. Uh, and to achieve what you're capable of is what God put you on earth to do. Um, I believe a lot of his philosophy in keeping things natural was to do it in a way that he knew he was capable of doing, and that's what God would want you to do. Um, cheating, stealing, things that are going to corrupt the mind, um, are, it's not just about strength for him. You know, he really wanted to make sure that you were pure in a lot of ways. Um, and everyone falls, everyone has problems, but his overall philosophy was very much to keep yourself uh, in a manner that God would want you to keep yourself. Yeah, I mean, he fought anti-Semitism as much as you can possibly fight it. I mean, that's, that was the whole bit about growing the beard and looking like a rabbi. I mean, he wanted to court that. You know, one of the, one of the famous stories uh, was um, in the book and certainly true from real life. There was a certain portion of New York City that was uh, German and, you know, a certain quarter. Uh, he was walking by and he saw a sign that said, no dogs and no Jews allowed on the second floor of a building. So he goes into a, a nearby hardware store, and he gets a ladder, and he gets a Hank Greenberg bat, which he thought was, you know, certainly significant because he was one of the few, few Jewish athletes that were around at the time. Uh, he climbs up to the second floor, smashes in the window, tears the sign up, and out come about 15, I believe they were um, German Bund members, ready to take him on. And with the bat, he destroys them all. He just puts them all in the hospital. And, yeah, and this, is, you know, this was not uncommon for him. I mean, if there was something that was anti-Semitic, he was going to fight it. He was never going to back down. And it was a really interesting time, but uh, he went to court, and the judge looks at all these 15 people with the bandages and the casts and, you know, all the head trauma. And he says, how is this possible? You know, and he, he dismissed it. Um, they dismissed it out of court. How can this little tiny man have done what you said he did? And they, they dismissed the court. Uh, they, they dismissed the uh, the case. So, um, about how old was your grandfather? I believe he was in his forties. Uh, I believe, um, but I have to go back and check that. I'm not. I'm not totally positive. But you know, with my grandfather, right. if he was 20 or he was 70, he was going to kick your ass. I mean, there was nothing that was going to stop him. It didn't matter because you know it's it's truly. 
it, it is mind over matter. And so the, the body is a tool. The body needs to be trained to execute. But if my uncle Mike can do this at 95, you know, what are we all capable of? I mean, he passed away from cancer, and, and ironically, uh, he had, I believe it was bladder cancer. Um, and I think from talking uh, all those years and not getting off stage and, and holding in his urine, I believe, is what ended up causing a problem. But I, I, I could be wrong on that. But, um, you know, were it not for that, he would have lived to 150. And, and he was performing strength feats right before he died. As a sick man, he was still doing it. And it just goes to show it's not about what you think your body can do physically. It's about what your mind tells you you can do. Right. That's awesome. Well, Steve, yeah. that's going to do it. And it was a real pleasure to speak with you about your grandfather, the mighty Adam. Uh, please support the mighty Adam documentary by clicking on the movie trailer at naturalstrength.com and mindforceradio.com. And Steve will give you his direct website again in a few seconds. And Steve, good luck with the documentary. I can't wait to see it. And thank you so much for being on the show. Well, thank you for having me. Uh, the site is uh, www.themightyadamdoc.com. That's A-T-O-M. Or you can just go to kickstarter.com and search The Mighty Adam. Don't be a flamingo. You have to do your squats. Don't be a flamingo. Real lifters work their legs. That's going to do it for this edition of Natural Strength Night on MindForceRadio.com. Please bookmark that website, MindForceRadio.com. Bob is always looking for new writers for NaturalStrength.com who are old school, hardcore, write with passion and have a strong anti-steroid stance. He also wants your training questions so they can be answered on the show. Please send your articles and training questions to Bob at MindForceRadio at Earthlink.net. Thanks for listening. See you next time. <laughs>